disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. It's the Disruption Zone. I'm Leland Conway. Conversation on tap today is with uh, Republican Senate Majority Floor Leader Senator Damon Thayer in the Kentucky State Legislature. Why are we talking to him? Because the Republicans had a huge night on election night and as far as the state is concerned. Uh, there are now only eight Democratic senators in Kentucky's state legislature. The Republicans control 30 of those seats. And on the House side, 75 out of 100 are Republicans. And so one of the things that the uh, leadership of the Republican Party in Kentucky has said they are going to do is they are going to uh, limit uh, Governor Bashir's authority and ability to shut things down uh, with executive order. So uh, we're going to talk to him about that and also his history in horse racing. That's all coming up right now, though. Thanks to our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, for being uh, well, for helping us make sure that this uh, podcast remains free to you and uh, easily accessible. So we really appreciate them. Um, if you, They've done our kitchen. And, and again, folks, I do not talk about businesses that I don't fully support. And uh, I love Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. The owner, Tim Montgomery, is a good friend. We became friends after they did work for me, not the other way around. So I want you to understand. I'm not just talking about a guy I know. Um, I just was really impressed with the work they did on our house. I, I'm confident that the look they gave our kitchen helped our house sell in a day. And, um, so if you're looking at, if you're a contractor or you are a do it yourselfer and you just need some cabinets, they got them on in stock. You can go buy and pick them up. They're high quality, very affordable. Uh, or if you are a turnkey kitchen remodel person, like you just need somebody to come in, they got three designers on staff. So stop by the showroom at 6,200 hit lane, talk to Michelle, Kelly, George, they'll help you out. Or you can give them a call at 502-930-3304. It's LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com if you want to check out the website. We appreciate them sponsoring the program. And now, our conversation with uh, Senate Majority Floor Leader, uh, Senator Damon Thayer from Georgetown. So the horse business, what, what, how did you fall in love with horses in the horse business? When I was uh, 10 years old, my parents moved us from uh, southern Michigan, what we call the Thumb area, in the Mitten, uh, and moved us up north to what's called up north, not the Upper Peninsula, the northern Lower Peninsula. And uh, we were, my younger sister and I were distraught over having to leave our family and friends, so they got me a go-kart and my sister a pony uh, to make us feel a little better about the move. And the go-kart eventually broke down, the pony kept going, and I've been horse-crazy ever since. That's awesome. Um, why did you decide to come to Kentucky? I mean, I know you've lived here a long time, but what, I mean, obviously it's the horse mecca. Is that why? Is that what attracted you to the Bluegrass State? Yes, I, I like to say I, I wasn't born in Kentucky, but I came as soon as I could. <laughs> I, moved, I moved here uh, 28 years ago to work at Turfway Park. I worked my way through Michigan State at a racetrack in Detroit in the publicity department. And as, after I graduated, I moved to Cleveland, Ohio, and worked there for two years. Then I moved to Maryland and worked for the Maryland Jockey Club. I was director of media relations for the Preakness Stakes when I was 24 years old. Wow. But I hated I hated living in Maryland. Um, 
all those liberals and high cost of living and right. high crime. Uh, so I started looking for a new job almost immediately and always wanted to live in Kentucky and work in Kentucky. And I got a job in 1992 working at Turfway Park and did that for eight years. Also worked at the Breeders' Cup for eight years. So, uh, and I still do consulting work in the in the horse business That's in addition awesome. to my legislative gig. I, I love you. You got to love when you can do your passion, you know. Um, and and it's. Do you have any horses now that are like like that you own outright, or are you mostly in, investing, or are you? Do you have like horses of your own that you that you train and ride? No, I used to have riding horses, and I also used to be in the boarding business. I used to board brood mares at my farm in Georgetown, but uh, I, I became a suburbanite uh, <laughs> several years ago. So I don't, I don't, and, and my daughter had a riding horse uh, that she outgrew, decided to play basketball in, in high school instead. But I, but what I do now is I invest in racehorse partnerships, uh, very small part pieces of horses, like the horse I'm going to see right now, I own 5% of him. And I've got a bunch of horses that I own, like, less than that. But it just gives me a rooting interest and gets me involved in the business. And if, if one of them hits big, uh, you know, then, then I'll, uh, I'll be rewarded. But yeah. in the meantime, I've got lots of action with horses running all over the country. Well, and, and I, I find that interesting. Like I've, I've always loved the horse business. I mean, I growing up out west, but being from Kentucky, you can't help but – you know, fall in love of all the different aspects. You know, I had a horse that I took care of for a lady when I was a kid that was a riding horse that, um, you know, my payment for taking care of the horse was I could ride it anytime I wanted. Um, so it was just an old desert, you know, horse, you know, um, but it was, it, it was awesome. And I fell in love with it. And when I came back to Kentucky to go to college, you know, and I looked at, um, the horse business because I immediately was around it because of radio. I mean, radio coverage of it. So my first job in radio, uh, my second day at work was a remote broadcast from Keeneland, uh, in the morning. And, you know, I, I was fascinated with the, the people that are associated with the racing business and, um, how passionate they are about it. It seems difficult to make a living in that business though. I mean, you know, obviously a lot of people think, hey, look, horses, lots of money. Yeah, there's a lot of money in it, but it seems like it's difficult to get to that point. The, the average horse farm owner in Kentucky has about a million dollars in debt, seven employees, and they net about $50,000 a year. Wow. It's a very labor-intensive business uh, with a lot of a lot of input costs mm. and you know it's a it's a three billion dollar industry in kentucky that's responsible for a hundred thousand jobs right and it you know it plays such an important part um in our economy you know tourism preserving green space i mean if it weren't for all these horse farms in central kentucky right you know do you think all that green space would be preserved right. probably not right yeah i i remember when i lived in Nicholasville, I kind of lamented when they made uh, Harrisburg Road four lanes um, because it, it, it changed the look of everything. I mean, for years when I was a little kid, before we moved to Arizona, driving back and forth, I lived in Wilmore, so um, driving back oh, wow. and forth between Lexington and Wilmore on, you know, 68, which at the time was just a farm road. 
Um, I mean, it's a state, is a U.S. road, but I mean, you know, it was just cut through those beautiful farms. And one thing I was glad they did was they preserved old 68, you know, uh, down by the, the house there that um, is on that golf course, lighthouse, golf course, golf course. And I used to go out there and run. It would be four miles one way if I ran from the golf course to uh, 29, which cut across to my house and then back. And I would run on old 68 because that was, it kind of preserved that, you know, you're just going through those, that gently rolling green, beautiful, and the horses are all out. I loved it, man. It's just, it, there's something special about it. I never get tired of driving around those roads in central Kentucky. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Well, let's talk a little politics. Um, the Republicans did pretty well, despite the, <laughs> despite Losing the presidency, up and down, Republicans actually did pretty well. A heck of a lot better than the mainstream media made it look like they were going to do. And in Kentucky, you guys pretty much cleaned house. It, it was one of the best, if not the best, nights for the Republican Party in history when you consider how much money was spent against Senator McConnell and Congressman Barr by the Democrats, and they both won huge landslide wins. Matter of fact, it was the most money spent against Senator McConnell ever, but yet he achieved his biggest victory margin. But, you know, I, 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 my day-to-day -day life is in the state Senate, so the state legislative numbers are incredibly important, and we had an almost perfect night. We gained 13 seats in the House of Representatives, so Republicans will have 75 out of 100 seats. And in the, in the Senate, uh, we, we held every seat, uh, including one uh, highly contested seat in northern Kentucky that we ended up winning by 16 points. Wow. But we won two seats currently held by Democrats, including the seat held by former Governor Julian Carroll, which is centered around Frankfurt. Yeah. So, you know, Johnny L. Turner defeated Johnny Ray Turner in eastern Kentucky and Adrian Southworth defeated Joe Gravis in this central Kentucky seat, which is Franklin, Woodford, Anderson, uh, and then up into northern Kentucky, Owen and Gallatin. So when we convene in January in the Senate, we'll have a record 30 Republican senators wow. and only eight Democrats. And to, to put it in perspective, 30 years ago, actually 40 years ago, when my mentor, Jim Bunning, was in the state Senate, there were nine Republicans and um, 30, uh, 29 uh, Democrats. Yeah. So it's completely flipped uh, in a couple of decades, and it's just an amazing, uh, I think, a tribute to our conservative message. And I also think it was pretty much complete and total repudiation of Governor Andy Bashir and his poor management of, uh, yeah. of the uh, pandemic yeah. as it relates to our economy. People are sick of it. Yeah. I, I, um, I've been, obviously, you know that I live in Colorado now, uh, but still spend quite a bit of time in Kentucky and I always will cause Kentucky is home, but I live in one of those dreaded blue States now. Um, but what's interesting is, and you and I were talking about this off the air, um, our governor in Colorado Paulus, who I disagree with vehemently on a lot of politics has actually done what I would say is an admirable job handling COVID. He never fully shut down the state, I think recognizing that that wasn't going to do anything. And 
you know, I watched from afar as Kentucky did things I never thought I would see happen in Kentucky. I, I'm, I'm a proud Kentuckian who believes in freedom and liberty. And watching, you know, the governor send the state police to churches to write down people's license plate numbers, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe this guy had the unmitigated gall. And watching the media just fawn over him for it. And I, I think what was interesting was I, you know, I'd throw up some criticisms on Twitter and, and even members of the media would fire back, you know, you, you know, you don't you want grandma to die. But now you look at that repudiation and that's exactly what it is. The people of Kentucky just, you know, we don't tend to Kentuckians don't tend to punch you in the face. We just tend to change direction on you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was like, it's like, OK, next vote. You're done. You know what I mean? Yes. And, you know, I thought. To be fair, in the early days, I thought the governor did a decent job trying to flatten the curve mm-hmm. to make sure that our, our our hospitals were not overrun with cases. And but by the way, he never once consulted the legislative leadership. Right. This has been all the Andy Bashir show. And it started to turn for him on Easter when he sent those state troopers to, to, to those churches. And it's been downhill ever since. We've gone from 15 days to flatten the curve to, what, over 200 days to yeah. eradicate a virus. And humans who think they can eradicate a virus <laughs> right. with, without a vaccine are, are just, you know, they're, 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 it's, fool, it's, a, it's a fool's errand. Yeah, yeah. And what, what I believe is that he is attempting to govern by fear and panic to to achieve control and compliance. Right. And I think he does it with very little care and concern for jobs and the economy and and the uh, economic disaster that he's created. Right. Uh, and, and 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 what's going to be a slow recovery from his policies. And it, it's he he I believe he doesn't care about these businesses. He he wants as many people to go on welfare as possible because concurrently he's bringing back his dad's Obamacare program right. to try to put as many people on welfare as possible. Right, right. And the and, more dependent he, you are, the, the more likely you are to vote for a guy that's giving you that stuff you're dependent on. That's, that's the Democratic mantra. Mm-hmm. Is the more people who rely on government for their living and for their day-to-day ability to pay their bills, they think the more likely they are to vote for them. That's been the Democratic mantra since the days of Lyndon Johnson, and we know how that's worked out for our country. Yeah, And it, it's pathetic. His leadership needs to be repudiated, and I believe it was on Election Day, and it's, gonna, it's going to get worse for him when the legislature convenes on January 5th. Right, right. Um, you tweeted, I think it was yesterday. Um, someone asked the question, does the governor have evidence that, cause he said he wasn't going to shut the economy down, but he was going to have more restrictions on restaurants and bars. And, uh, Pegasus, uh, Jared Crawford from Pegasus Institute said, does the governor have evidence that restaurants and bars are driving the increase? And you re- you replied on Twitter. No, period. <laughs> um, I think it's so clear right now that shutdowns, do not work at all. And I think it's silly for us beyond asking people to stay six feet apart. Other than that, I think restrictions are just dumb. They're counterintuitive. They're, they're, they're not counterintuitive. They're counterproductive. 
And in the end, all they're going to do is cause more economic damage and more, frankly, health, mental health issues. Suicides are up. More people have died from the consequences of the economic fallout than have died from the virus itself, I bet you. I, I agree with you. I, you know, it's like the cure is worse than the disease. Right. And there, there are stories after story after story uh, out there uh, on the Internet where there's scientific proof that these lockdowns do nothing but lock down the economy. And then, you know, the, the, the fear and the panic and the anxiety and the tension and the loneliness created by these lockdowns create these mental health consequences where teenage suicide is, is, is the number one killer of teens, and it's spiked, uh, someone told me, 200%. Um, you've got more, uh, more uh, child abuse, more domestic violence, uh, more mental health issues, and, and, and then you've got the fact that while these hospitals were shut down for elective procedures, people weren't going in for their cancer treatment. Right, right. And, so, and we've got more cancer, more strokes, more heart attacks, People are still afraid to go back to hospitals. So you've got all these health consequences and mental health consequences that we're going to be paying for for years. And I mean paying for in, in human costs and human lives. And, and I just don't think that, that Andy Bashir and his little small circle cadre of advisors even consider those things. Right. And, it's, you know, it's Republicans like, like us and conservatives like us who are you know, trying to get attention to this, and he just, he won't listen. And he, he, he is such a failed leader because he's so afraid to work with Republicans in the legislature. We're the people's branch of government. We are closer to the people. We hear about the, the, the failed unemployment insurance claims. We hear about the restaurants closing. In Georgetown, where I live, we've had three restaurants shut down for good. Another one just announced that they'll be closing for good. And I've heard about a fourth, a fifth restaurant uh, that's teetering because these 50% capacity limits aren't enough for these restaurants right. to make a profit. And I'm afraid that tomorrow, Thursday, he's going to announce more restrictions on bars and restaurants, despite the fact that there is little to no evidence that they're responsible for an increase in cases. And by the way, we've been living under Andy's mask mandate, but by the way, the number of cases are going up. Right. You, you, would, you would have thought that the mass would have cured all that. And what, they're, what the numbers are ignoring is the numbers in the prisons and the jails and the nursing homes that are driving the positivity rate. Right. And the rest of us shouldn't be punished for what's happening in these sequestered locations. It, it, one of the things that's unbelievable to me, and, and I know the election shows that people did reject these policies, but by and large, people have been a lot more compliant than I would like them to be to some of these restrictions the government has thrown on them, specifically businesses in the state of Washington. This is unbelievable to me. They've literally canceled Thanksgiving, like literally, like as in the, the governor is banning people from visiting other people's houses who do not live in those houses. What's, ama what's amazing to me is that we live in a country now where 10 years ago, that was unimaginable that a, that, that a government could tell you, could micromanage your Thanksgiving, you know, uh, entertainment, that, that they could micromanage your family life. And yet, you know, the people of Washington will probably not only accept it, they'll probably reelect re that damn guy. Um, what are you guys going to do when you get convened here in just a few weeks 
to go into session to limit Governor Bashir's opportunity to do things like that? So one of the things that people were shocked about that you and I have known for years as observers and participants in government is that when the General Assembly is out of session, we are powerless to, to be a check on the, gov- the executive branch. So when we adjourned uh, in early April and then the courts were shut down, you basically had the co-equal branches of government going to a one-man autocracy. And I think I'm being kind in describing it as such. You had one man in charge of the lives of 4.5 million people. Right. It took a couple months for us to get people to understand we can't do anything because people were clamoring for us to do something right. to rein him in and to provide the check and balance that the co-equal branches of government ought to produce. So finally, after a couple months of that, people understood that we can't call ourselves into special session to deal with this. Only the governor can call a special session, and he or she Download the uh, has, to, has the right, the, the unilateral right to set the agenda. Yeah. So one of the things we're looking at is a bill sponsored by the Speaker of the House, David Osborne, that would put a constitutional amendment on the ballot in 2022 to let the people of Kentucky decide whether or not they want to give the General Assembly the ability to call itself into special session and set the agenda. Right. Frankly, I think, I think we ought to have that authority because you look at other states like Michigan and Wisconsin where they have Republican legislative majorities but Democrat governors, they've been able to be a check and balance on the governor there throughout the pandemic, which we have not been able to do. So that's number one. Secondly... Section 39A of Kentucky Revised Statutes was passed in 1998, giving the governor broad authority to call a state of emergency. But it was, it was then, it was set out to be basically for regional disasters like floods and tornadoes and ice storms, not an ongoing pandemic. So we need to go in to that statute and limit the number of days that a governor can call a state of emergency. It might be 15, 20, or 30 days. Probably 28 to 30 days is, is a good number. And then, and then only the General Assembly can extend the state of emergency for a set number of days under the proposals that we're considering. Right. So limit the number of days and bring the General Assembly back in to extend it. That way, then, the governor has to make the case to the General Assembly. And the people's branch can speak based on what we're hearing from back home, from businesses affected by a pandemic. And frankly, we may need to consider a different state of emergency rule for a pandemic. I mean, let's hope it's another 100 years before we have another one. Right, right. But... Those rules might need to be different than, than for a regional disaster like a uh, like a, an ice storm like we've had in Lexington or right, right. tornadoes like we've had in eastern Kentucky or floods like we've had in northern Kentucky. So, yeah. because Leland, the Constitution does not sleep even during a pandemic. Right. And you'll note that all the lower courts ruled in favor of freedom until our liberal, out-of-touch Supreme Court 
voted to basically give Andy Bashir blanket authority. Right. So we, we have to look at these constitutional edicts issued by the Supreme Court, which, by the way, they haven't seen a, a bad decision that they like to make in the last few years. Right. Because if you put a decision in front of these people in their robes, they have made a bad decision time and time and time again. And they did again most recently in dealing with this uh, executive branch authority during a pandemic issue. Well, there's a lot of people I think are looking forward to when you guys can get in session and limit uh, some of what Governor, as I like to call him on Twitter, Andy Dad Jeans, is doing to the state. Unfortunately, I'm out of time for today, and I know you've got to get going too. Um, as always, Damon, it's great talking to you. Thanks for your time. We appreciate it. And um, thanks for having me. <laughs> all right, thanks. thanks. Have a good. All right, you too. Talk to you later. Uh, that's uh, State Senator Damon Thayer. He is actually the um, Republican, um, I think it's majority leader is the title. He's, he's one step below the Senate president, which is uh, Robert Stiver. So he's basically second in command um, in terms of uh, Republicans in the Senate in Kentucky and um, pulls no punches when it comes to what he thinks about the governor and the governor's actions. So great. Appreciate uh, him joining us today. As always, it's a free podcast. It's made free because we have great sponsors like Louisville cabinets and countertops and I want you to stop in and check them out there at 6200 hit lane and talk to Michelle and George and Kelly the designers if you're a contractor or a do-it-yourselfer who just needs some cabinets that are high quality and in stock they've got them uh, if you want a turnkey kitchen remodel they've got that for you too um, and they did our kitchen and I was extremely pleased with the work that they did in our kitchen. And I stand by them. I don't talk about businesses that I don't believe in. So whether it's turnkey kitchen remodel or stuff that you need right away, you're a, whether you're a contractor or a do-it-yourselfer or you need a turnkey full project done, they can get it done for you. Call them at 502-930-3304, 502-930-3304, um, and uh, give them a call and give them, uh, you know, check it out. Or stop by the, the, uh, the showroom at 6200 Hit Lane. Big thanks to uh, Dynamics Productions in Lexington, Kentucky, for their help with the audio on this program. And uh, to my co-executive producer, Cameron Mills. Find us on Twitter. It's at Leland Show and at Zone Disruption. Uh, and on Instagram, it's at The Disruption Zone and at Great Lelando. And again, you can download us at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Thanks for listening. I'm Leland Conway, The Disruption Zone.